Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda, if you will take your Bible and go to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to, it's going to kind of be our focal text. And then um, as is, has been uh, typical of this particular series, we're going to be all over the place. Uh, you can keep your Bible open to Colossians 1. The, uh, all, all the supporting verses that I, that I have this morning will be uh, on the screen. If you are tech savvy and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along there with the events feature. I've put my uh, sermon notes on there as well. Um, and uh, so just how, however you feel comfortable, whether hard copy or digital, uh, it's all the Word of God. So um, this morning, we come to the fourth message in, in this series that, that I've simply called Here We Stand. And, and this morning, uh, we are looking at what we as Southern Baptists believe about the church. Now, so far, we've looked at uh, what we believe about Scripture, what we believe about God and, and the Trinity. And then uh, last week, we looked at what we believe about salvation. This morning, we turn our attention to the church. What do we believe about primarily the local church? But then, uh, what, So what are some characteristics of the local church? And then we're going to look at the, the offices of the local church. What are the ordinances of the local church? And then finally, we're going to close out by looking at the objective of the local church. Uh, now, from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is the statement of faith that First Baptist Church has affirmed, uh, this is what that document says about the church. It says, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them, uh, invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. All right, so uh, th this is what our statement of faith says about uh, the, the local church. And, and we're going to kind of go, go through this and break down the pieces of that uh, here in, in just a bit. Um, now, the English word for church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is most often, by far, it's, it's used mostly to refer to a local body of believers. Now, in, in the world of theology, uh, the study of the church is called ecclesiology, out of that word uh, ecclesia, ecclesiology, the study of the church, right? So, so most of the time when you read church in the New Testament, uh, think of a local body. And we, we see this all the time. So we see Paul uh, throughout the New Testament writing to churches in places like Ephesus, places like Corinth, which we'll look at in just a second, places like Philippi, uh, places like Colossae. All right, so, so he's writing to local churches in, in local cities, okay? However, the, the church can also refer to what we would call the, the church universal, all right? Which means it's made up of every believer from every race, tribe, and tongue, and we see a picture of this in the book of Revelation, where, where we will all be gathered with, with believers uh, past, believers present, believers future, all around the throne of God. We see this in Revelation 5.9. It 
says that they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. So it's talking here about Christ Jesus. They sing a new song to, to Christ. Uh, because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and every language and people and nation. All right, so, so most of the time when we call, when we say church, we're going to refer to the local body. And that's where the, the emphasis is this morning. But, but there's also a sense in where um, the, the body of Christ is manifested through the church universal. Every believer on the face of the planet from uh, every race, every tribe, and every tongue. Right? Now, um, I, I was kind of interested this week. So uh, earlier in the week, I just I put a question out on Facebook. And I just said, so I'm preaching on the church this week. Uh, what is, and I just, I just put the local church is dot, 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 and let folks fill in. And we got, I got 51 responses, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not read them all, okay? Um, we, we, we'd be here uh, for a while. Um, one, of the, one of the guys in my doctoral class uh, gave, what, as you would think, probably a, a pretty um, substantial um, uh, response. He said, the local church is a local expression of the body of Christ, loving God in their community, making fully devoted followers of Christ, who share the gospel which has saved them. That's that's pretty good. Um, and then Sarah said, I'm going to pick on you for a second, uh, because yours is right below his. <laughs> and it, she just said, it's, it's family supporting each other as we follow God's path to grow his kingdom. Uh, someone else said, not sending enough. So the local church is not sending enough. The local church is not what it used to be. Um, right? So, so we got all kinds of... Um, Positive responses, all kinds of negative responses. The church is not a building. I like that someone emphasized that. Um, the church the church is the hope of the world. Which, at first glance, when I first read that, I was like, but but not, not really, because we would say Christ is the hope of the world. And yet, we call the church the body of Christ, right? So, so the church is the visible expression of who God is. So in one sense, yes. We, as the church, are the hope of the world. If you'll turn with me to Colossians 1, our, our primary text this morning is going to be verse 18. But I want to back up to verse 15, and then we're going to actually read all the way through 20. All right, so Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, going down through 20. Let's stand as we uh, observe the, the word of the Lord this morning. This is talking, this is Paul writing, he's talking about Christ Jesus. He said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be gathered here this morning as we look at what it means to be part of a local church, to be part of your body. And this morning, may this text ring true. 
that we've come to recognize once again that Christ Jesus alone is the head of the church. No person, no committee, no building, Christ alone. May we live our lives individually in submission to his lordship. May we live our lives as members of a local gathering of believers called a church in submission to the headship of King Jesus. Speak through your word this morning. Open our eyes to what it means to be a part of the local church. We ask all these things in the precious, holy, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You have a seat. Um, so, so as I said, we're going to, this, verse 18 kind of serves as, as the, the basis. Now, I'm not going to do what I would normally do, and that is just simply walk through the, the text this morning. So, but, but I want us to understand that everything we do in the local church should stem from the fact that Christ is the head. All right, so, so, so hear me say this. I am not the head of the church. And you are not the head of the church. No committee, no deacon, no pastor, no building, no, no, nothing is the head of the church except for Christ alone. And so that means that, that where we see things in our, in the way that we operate that don't match what scripture would say it's our responsibility to line up with what scripture says not to make scripture say what we would like it to say to fit structures that we put in place okay we'll talk about that more here in here in just a second uh, i'm just laying that out there okay when when the way we operate is not in line with the way scripture would have us operate it's our responsibility to look more like scripture not to make scripture look more like us okay Alright, so, so here are some attributes of the local church. We're just going to look at four of these. These are by no means uh, uh, exhaustive. Okay? Th these are some of the big ones, but, but there, there are more you could, you could add to this. Okay? These are just some big ones. Uh, so as Southern Baptists, we function autonomously okay? as a local church. Now, maybe you come from a, from a church background or from a denomination that's a little bit different than Southern Baptists. Uh, so let me explain what that means real quick. We don't answer to any outside body. Now, this next week, uh, Michelle and I and our, and our family will be going to Dallas to take part in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, which begins a week from the, the meeting itself begins a week, week from Tuesday. There's a whole lot of ancillary stuff that happens over the weekend. Um, now, when we go to the Southern Baptist Convention, we don't have anyone there telling us how things are going to operate. In fact, we go as messengers from First Baptist Church to instruct the convention on how we believe it should operate. And that's, that's the way it works. The, the Southern Baptist Convention, that is 45,000 churches strong, instruct, those local churches instruct the larger convention body how to operate, not vice versa. So if you grew up in, uh, in something like a Methodist church or a Catholic church, uh, where you have in the Catholic Church, you have the Pope, and then you have uh, cardinals and bishops, and, and everything then kind of trickles down to the church. Take that and flip it upside down, and that's the way Southern Baptists operate. You have the church as the primary focus where decisions are made, and from, from the local church, things trickle down to the larger body. The focus in Southern Baptist life is right here 
on the local church. Okay? So, so that's the first one. Uh, secondly, second function or attribute is that we function under the lordship of Jesus. As we've already talked, Colossians 1.18 makes very clear that Christ is the head of the church. Not the pastor, not the deacons, not anyone else. Jesus himself, which means it is, it is our responsibility to follow his lead as the head. Uh, and so, look, if we're talking about our physical body, if your head is sending signals to your body that, that, that the body's not receiving or not responding to, we would recognize that there's uh, something wrong there, right? That there's, that there's been some sort of damage or something's out of whack. Something's not the way it's supposed to be in the body if, if the body is not following the signals that the head sends. Listen, it's the same way in the church. See, I believe that, that Christ, is, as, as head, is sending us signals all the time. We have some problems within our, our lives. One of those, one of the big ones in, in our lives is sin, right? That, that blocks those, those messages from being received. Or sin that, that would receive them, but just simply say, nah, I'm not going to do that. Folks, as believers in our own lives, it's our responsibility to follow the Lord's lead. As, as the church body as a whole, it's our responsibility to follow the Lord's lead. So we function autonomously. We function under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, third, we function under covenant. Now, now this is a little bit different. Um, simply what it means is that a, a, a body, a, a church, is a body of believers who covenant together to fulfill the great commission. Now, as a pastor, let me lay out, okay, so that you understand where I'm coming from here. I, I don't believe that participation in a local church is optional for a believer. I, I believe it's an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because we're called the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ in Scripture. So you couldn't tell, imagine going up to one of your buddies and saying, you know, I really like you, but dude, your wife. Do you think you'd be friends for very long in, in that case? Or, um, or, or as, as a favorite way that I've ever heard this described is there are no Lone Ranger Christians in Scripture. We never see that laid out as, as a pattern. We never see that really laid out as an option. The, the pattern we see in the New Testament is that believers are always connected to a local church. And, and yes, I know, okay, and, and, and I never want to discount bad experiences in church. So, so let, me, let, me, let me say, if that's, your, if that's your testimony, like you've been beat up in church, um, I, I get it, I understand. But, so, so let me say this, just like God's not done working on you yet, he's not done working on this church. He's not done working on any church. My, my favorite quote in, in regards to that is from Charles Spurgeon, who basically said, listen, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. I take that to apply to me too. Right? If, I, if I ever find a local church that's perfect, I'm, I'm, I'm not walking in the door because I will blow the place up as soon as I walk in. Right? Well, the church is messed up and full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. Come join us. Let us let, let's pursue Christ together. All right. And here's the last uh, attribute that is that, that the local church functions with baptized believers. Okay. Now again, this is going to be a a pretty um, distinctively Southern Baptist attribute, but again, all right, I, I, 
I hope I've never made that a secret. I hope I've never apologized for that. I, I, I was Southern Baptist before I was a believer, okay? Like my name was on the cradle roll back when that was a thing. So I've been on, I've been on church rolls longer than I've been a Christian. Southern Baptist is all I've ever known. Lord willing, it's all I will ever know. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think we're right. Uh, that's, that's the big one. All right. I, I, I say that unapologetically. I'm a, I'm Southern Baptist. Thick but, but here's what we believe about baptism. Okay. In, in the New Testament, uh, we, we see that baptism is for those who have trusted in Christ as Savior. All right. So, so that's why we, we don't baptize babies. We will do uh, baby dedications from time to time, which is really more parent commissioning than it is uh Dedicating babies, we, we don't think that uh, we don't have any power to save the babies. Uh, what we do have power to do is commission the parents to raise them in the Lord. All right, um, we, we just we believe, and, and, and there are going to be several statements I'm going to say this morning, and, and I want to say it this way: we humbly believe this is the pattern we see in the New Testament that baptism follows faith in Christ. It's the first step of obedience. And so let me just lay that out here. One of the ways that you can become a member of this church is through baptism. If, if you're a follower of Christ, we, we don't believe there's any saving quality in baptism. It's an act of discipleship. It's an act of obedience to what Christ has commanded. And, and we, we've talked about that in previous weeks through the Great Commission. Go into all the nations. Uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here, maybe you'd say, you know, I've, I've been a believer for a while, um, but I've never been baptized as a believer, never been baptized as a follower of Christ. I would love to visit with you and just share a little bit more about what that means. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not arrogant in that way. We just humbly believe that's, that's what Scripture teaches, and that's how we want to operate here as, as a local church, right? So those are the attributes. Secondly, we're going to get into the, the offices of a local church. The first office that we see in, in the church is that of pastor. And, and it, depending on the translation of, of scripture that you have, um, you might see the word elder, you might see the word overseer. Those are all the same, uh, the same office in scripture. Okay, those are, those are synonyms. Pastor, elder, overseer. We see this in uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7 primarily. Uh, which says, an overseer, see there it is, overseer, it's, it's the office of pastor. Overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert. Um, there it is. I just lost my place. He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. All right. So here are the qualifications of a pastor, an overseer. Um, he's got to have his life at least somewhat in order. Right. And every time I read this, man, I feel the weight of this text. In this in this position uh, so I can tell you from one who is in this office uh, you don't have to, you don't do this perfectly as a pastor but but it is someone who's striving to 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 do to, to be faithful in these areas at home in the church in the personal life right 
Now, now here's, again, where I'm going to make a statement that, that might seem provocative, but, but hear me out, okay? Because I think I, I think I stand on some biblical evidence here. The pattern we see in the New Testament, the, the pattern we see in the New Testament is not of a single pastor. What we see is multiple pastors within a congregation. One of the ways we describe that is, is saying there is a plurality of elders in local congregations. Now, if you look at our staff page, if you look at the way we're structured, we have one single pastor, and I am he. Okay? Now, this is one of those areas where, where I'm going to say, I believe we need to make some changes to look more like the biblical model. But before I do that, let me, let me give you some, some scriptural examples to, to show you what I'm talking about. Okay, so Acts 14.23. We're, we're going to look at several places and actually talk about this. Acts 14.23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so it says they went throughout uh, every church appointing elders. Acts 16.4. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. Acts 20.17 Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And then Acts 21.18 The following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Okay? Now here's four examples throughout the New Testament in different locations where, where we're told that the churches had multiple elders. Now, if you're familiar with all the way we do things here, and in our in the Baptist faith message, we said we are congregational, right? So, so we um, we are not a democracy. We are a theocracy. We, we, we function under the headship of Christ, and yet we, we do work through democratic process. Now, maybe you grew up in a, in a, a church background where, where you had elders, and there was not democratic process in place. In other words, the, the elders uh, were judge, jury, and executioner. That sounds weird in the context of a church, doesn't it? Maybe, that's, maybe those are bad words. But where, where, where elders made the decisions and then delivered those to the people. That is not what I'm talking about. We can still function in democratic process while following, because I believe we see that, I believe we see congregationalism in uh, Scripture, because we see the church setting apart the deacons in Acts 6. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but we see this pattern of multiple elders, a plurality of elders. And, and what we don't see, now again, hear me out, don't, don't, don't write me off as soon as I, as I make this statement, okay? What we don't see in Scripture are um, things like church councils or personnel and finance committees. Now, we don't see air conditioning either, okay, to be fair, all right? I'm not, I'm not arguing that we get rid of all that, as you can, let me clearly see, we try to make it as cool in here as possible with a, with a subpar air conditioner. Um, so, so I'm not saying that those kind of things are anti-biblical are, are anti or unbiblical. What, what I will say is those are extra-biblical. Those have become pragmatic ways that we carry out a democratic process as it's, it's, it's expedient congregationalism. So that we don't have to gather the church uh, for every single decision to be made. We have committees in place to, to make some decisions. And then often those committees bring uh, recommendations to be decided on by the local church body. I'm not saying any of that's 
wrong. But what I'm saying is if we're going to have extra biblical structures, should we not also conform to the explicitly biblical structures? So I'm, I'm not advocating, well, let's get rid of church council, let's get rid of uh, personal finance committee. But, but if we're going to have those, let us also seek to conform ourselves to the biblical model that we see in Scripture. So, so I, again, I humbly believe that we need to begin moving this way. It's not going to happen overnight, but I believe it needs to happen. Okay, so, so dream with me for a minute here. What would it look like if by this time next year, we have two or three men whom we have, we've identified as a congregation and ordained to lead and to teach and to serve? Now, now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we need to create two or three more staff positions. Because I believe we can have elders who are serving the church as lay people. Lay elders is, is one of the terms that I've heard. We can have men who have the same authority that I do to help lead and guide the church without having them on staff. What would it look like this time next year? As we move into summer 2019, to have two or three pastors, two or three elders, leading and teaching and serving. And so look, as, as a church in revitalization, looking at what the Lord would have us look like as a congregation, we should constantly be asking, where are areas where there are discrepancies between how we function now and how the New Testament would have us function? And as I said a few minutes ago, where those discrepancies exist, I believe it's up to us to conform to Scripture and not to try and make Scripture conform to our ways. Because sometimes the way we've always done it is wrong. And, and it's, it's up to us to recognize, hey, this is, this is not the pattern of the New Testament. So, so again, it's not going to happen overnight. I know there's, there's many things that have to happen, but I'm, just, I'm laying this out before you as something I believe needs to happen to, to have us look more like the New Testament would have us look. Okay, so that's the first office. I know that was, that was a whole lot, right? The, the first office is pastor. The second office that we see in Scripture is that of deacon, and a deacon or, or, or servant. The um, the word for deacon that we see in the New Testament literally means servant. Okay, uh, the first time that we see deacons, even though they're not called that, that the the it's kind of generally accepted among uh, biblical scholars that the first deacons we see are in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, the, the apostles come to uh, the church in Jerusalem and they say, um, there's, there's some issues, there's some ministry that's not being handled, and, and we don't have time to do it. So, so this is, these are the apostles, these are the elders at the church in Jerusalem saying, there is work to be done that, that is not being done. So appoint some men, and in this case they said appoint seven men to the congregation, to the church. They said you guys appoint these men, seven men who will be able to serve in this capacity so that we can continue with our primary role of teaching and preaching the word of God, shepherding the congregation. So the, so the church chooses seven men in Acts chapter 6. Now, um, and, and their primary job, the, the reason the deacons were elected, was to serve tables. Specifically to serve widows who were being overlooked. 
to help carry out the ministry of the church. Now, I've seen many churches, maybe you have too, where they would not, they, they would say that they, they do not have an elder system, but they have elders. They just call them deacons. Where you have deacons who serve as functional elders, and that is not the biblical model. That's not what we have here. I, we, we are blessed with a wonderful group of, of servants in our deacons who do not and have not made it where every decision lives or dies in the deacon body. I'm grateful for that. That's a blessing. So the first deacons in Act 6 were selected to serve widows. Um, and interestingly enough, although the qualifications for deacons and elders uh, are identical with the exception of teaching. Deacons are not required to teach. But otherwise, the, the requirements are identical. This is what we see in 1 Timothy 3, 8-10. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. According to our bylaws, we go through this process every September of um, at least examining some men in our congregation to, to see if there are any who are qualified to serve as deacons. Last year, we had none that, that we elected or that, that we ordained as, as a church. But um, in our bylaws, we at least go through this process every year. So September will be here before we know it. You'll be hearing more about this as we get closer. Uh, so those are the two offices. Now, now I want us to turn our attention to the two ordinances of a local church. These are simply baptism, which we talked about earlier. For us, baptism will follow. Uh, we baptize at believers. So, so someone who has made a profession of faith said, yes, I, I, I'm, I've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe I've been brought from death to life through Christ's sacrifice on my behalf. And then we'll baptize them as an act of obedience. Uh, we see this in Romans 6, 4. Paul writes, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And this is the verse I reference every time I baptize somebody. Because baptism for us, is, is there's no saving uh, aspect to it. it. There's nothing special about the water that, that we put in the baptistry. It is, it's simply a symbol. You have a symbol done out of obedience to Christ's command. Through baptism, we symbolize identifying with Christ's death on our behalf. And by that saying, the, the old person that I once was is now dead and gone. They, they no longer live. So I'll say buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in new life. Signifying what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that's the first ordinance that we, uh, that, that we observe. And again, if you have questions about baptism, maybe you're here, and as I said earlier, you'd say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, but I've never been baptized. Uh, I would love to visit with you and, and put a date on the calendar. And if, you're, if you have not yet taken that step of obedience, what, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? That's a chance for us to celebrate with you as a congregation, saying, yes, we, 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 we want to identify you as a follower of Christ. And, and help you grow and walk in the Lord. The second ordinance that we observe is the Lord's Supper. 
uh, which we do about four times a year, every fifth Sunday. That, that's just kind of the way that we've, uh, that we've set it up. And, and we get this out of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, where Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So oftentimes people will say, well, how often should you do the Lord's Supper? And, and the simple response to that is, well, as often as you do. That, that, that's the only, that, that's, that, that's what we see in Scripture. How often? As, as often as, as you do. Uh, so you have churches that do it every week. You have churches that do it every month. I know a few churches that only do it once a year. They make a big deal. They do it during Passover season. Um, I, to, you may have your preference. And to that, we would simply say, amen, as often as you do, do it in remembrance of, of Christ Jesus. Because we're proclaiming his death until he comes. All right, so we've talked about the attributes. Uh, we've talked about the offices. We've talked about the ordinances. Um, now we simply want to talk about the objective of the local church. It's simple. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's it. Now we can talk all day long about how we make disciples, but, but here's my fear. Sometimes I think we talk about making disciples far more than we actually make disciples. We, you know, I talked about this last week, and, 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 and yeah, I know, I go to the Great Commission a lot, and, and there's a reason for that, because we as believers, and this is not just true here, it's true across the board, it's true certainly across the board throughout the Southern Baptist Convention. It's true across the board, across denomination lines, around our nation. We have not been effective at making disciples. We've been somewhat effective through the years of getting folks in the pews. Because there was a time where all you had to do was say, hey, y'all come now, and, and folks came. Y'all, that day has passed. There, there used to be a time, there was a time where there was nothing else happening on Sunday mornings. There was a time where, by law, nothing else could happen on Sunday mornings, right? We don't, we don't live in that culture anymore. We live in a 24-7 culture where there is activity going all the time. So, so what's our primary objective as, as a local church? Is it to get people in the pews? Well, that's good. As I said, connection to a local church is important. I think it's I think it's a necessary aspect of being a believer, particularly being an effective believer, because this is where we support one another. This is where we encourage one another. This is where we worship God together as uh, as the body of Christ gather. This is where we open up His Word and hear it proclaimed together. I think this is valuable. But for a long time, we made church members, but not disciples. We're called to make disciples. I believe if we focus on that task, the rest will fall into place. Because you get somebody passionate about following after Jesus, and you don't have to drag them out of bed to come gather with God's people on Sunday mornings. This is our objective. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So, so let me ask, what would it look like if, if we got serious about making disciples here at First Baptist Church? You know, I set kind of a personal goal at the beginning of the year. Um, I, I didn't share that with anybody. It was, it was a private one, so I'm about, to, I'm about to share this with you guys. I, I, I'd shared a, I'd made a personal goal that the First Baptist Church this year would baptize 18. 18 and 18, right? It's cute. I mean, it's, it's fine. <laughs> We've baptized one person so far this year. That's okay. We're not yet halfway through the year. What would it look like between now and the end of the year if we had 17 people come through the baptistry? Maybe some of you guys in here would say, as I said a while ago, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I know I put my yes down. I followed him, but I've never followed through in in, in baptism. And this morning, I would simply say, I believe that's, a, that's a, a simple matter of obedience to Christ's command. Don't want to come down on you hard. Don't, don't want to don't push you if, if you're not ready. But, but like I said, well, I was simply asking, man, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're here and you came out of a, a slightly different uh, denomination than we did, where, where they believe different things about baptism. We, we believe that the biblical model is baptism by immersion. And so I would simply say if, if, if First Baptist Church is the place you feel like you want to invest your life as a believer, if these are the people of God that you want to pursue Christ with, then I would simply ask that, that, that baptism not be a barrier to that. It's a way of identifying here with what we believe. And again, if you have questions, man, I, I'm an open book. I'd love to share with you and, and, and discuss with you a little bit about what that means. I'm going to be gone next week. As I said, I'm going to be at the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, myself and Michelle and Gary and Pat Buckner are going as messengers from First Baptist Church, where we will go and, and do business on, at the convention on behalf of uh, the church. And as I talked about our objective this morning, you have a treat. And so I'm so excited. Uh, DJ Harshi is is preaching next week, and 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 he's gonna he's gonna lead through an introduction to discipleship. Him and myself and Noel Six have been working on a discipleship process. Well, Noel, it's been two years now since we first uh, were introduced to this up in Reynosa, and we've seen this. Uh, Gain some momentum. I've walked through it with a few guys. So, so for several of you, this is going to look familiar as, as DJ starts walking through circles. So if you're, if you're familiar with, with what I'm talking about there, you'll, you'll know. If not, you will be after next week. Our objective is to make disciples. A lot of times we're really good at other things, but our primary objective is making disciples. And I believe that is our singular objective focus as a congregation. And so throughout this year, you're going to be hearing a lot about what that looks like. We're going to walk through 1 Timothy and this fall and see Paul's charge to a young pastor to um, in, in the way that, that he wanted that church to look in Ephesus. And I believe God has great things in store for us this summer and this fall. As we zero our attention and our efforts on making disciples, fulfilling the great 
commission. And, and hear me out. It doesn't matter what our church building looks like. It doesn't matter where our church building is. I still don't know what's going to happen. We, we've talked about the building swap. We still don't know. But whether we remain here or whether we move, it doesn't matter. Our objective does not change. Because no building is the church. The church is the people. I don't care if we're meeting in here, if we're meeting at Mountain View, or if we're going to meet under a tree somewhere. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we have one mission. Make disciples. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. And, and I know we, we talked about a lot of things this morning. Um, I just pray you would help us as, as an entire congregation to follow your leading and to follow your word. If that means that our structures need to change, that we would align our structures with your word. God, as we've said for a long time, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know where our church will end up meeting. We don't know what that will look like. But we believe that you, as the head of First Baptist Church, have good things in store for us. So I say publicly this morning, as the under-shepherd of First Baptist Church, I will lead us to follow wherever you go. Wherever you lead, whenever you lead, we'll follow. Thank you so much for the blessing of the church, for allowing us to gather with believers week in and week out to pursue Christ together, that we as individual believers might look more and more like Christ, and that we as a local church that call ourselves First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, we might look more and more like Jesus Christ. Will you show us how to do that? Shape us and mold us into his image each and every day. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.